I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with something you need right now. Business strategies that will help you take your design business to the next level. Wellness and design thought leadership, right here. I wanted to give you something to start the year off right, and in doing so, partnered with Thermosol to bring you a series covering high concepts with actionable strategies you can use starting today. As we enter 2021 and think to the future, we should also take some time to consider our business model, right? Executing those brand extensions uh, and strategies we've been pondering for the last 10 months. Let's do that smartly. Let's deconstruct the many different business models and ideate best practices, expectations from trade partners and manage the expectations of clients. Can we promote with intellectual property integrity, extend our services beyond the traditional word of mouth without overextending the small but loyal teams that we have working for us in most cases from home? Uh, from home offices with kids around, and we've been doing this for 10 months. How do we expand from this? How do we expand our delivery windows for products? And how do we manage expectations, promote research and development, eliminate getting shopped by clients, and expand our creative horizons? This is what we're talking about today. This conversation features Dirty Girl Construction's Joan Barton, John McCulley of McCulley Design Lab, and designer Ray Langhammer. I enlisted the skillful and incredibly talented Christopher Grubb to moderate this conversation. This is the business of design, part of the Wellness and Design Leadership series presented by Thermosol. By the way, are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do, so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And now you can find us on designnetwork.org a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. Okay, let's get to it. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger, a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their very best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple with the support you need. They've been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a series in partnership with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. This intimate interview series showcases some of the very best creatives in the business today. Please join us live or catch every episode recorded so you can enjoy it on your schedule. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. This is the business of design, a part of the Convo by Design wellness and leadership, thought leadership series presented by uh, Thermosol. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled about this panel and I feel like you're you're going to hear some amazing perspectives and i think it's really important right now because we're at the beginning of 2021 and i think everyone uh to a designer to an architect to a creative has figured out that after the remarkable year in business that 2020 was for 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 our industry it, it was only the tip of the iceberg and i feel like if you can grasp these 
this business advice, these tips to sort of upgrade the manner in which you operate your firm, uh, it's, it's nothing but a good thing. So with that, I tried to find an amazing panel, which I did, and to head it up, an amazing moderator, which I did. Uh, Christopher Grubb and I go back uh, a little bit. Um, he has moderated some of the panels that I put together at uh, the West Edge Design Fair. And I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, Christopher, thank you for taking this one on. I love it and I appreciate it. And with that, I'm gonna throw it to you and uh, I'm gonna sit back and listen, take it away. That sounds great. Thank you for such a nice intro and thank you for this opportunity and wow, we have a great panel. There's, we got to do a pre-call introduction and there's some great information. So we're gonna do an intro round. I'll start with me. My name is Christopher Grubb. I'm the president and founder of Arc Interiors Design Group in Beverly Hills. I also do product design. I have two studios, one that's consumer price friendly and one that's higher end. You can go to my website, ChristopherGrubb.com. Um, and I also host some design segments for house tips or so I'm out and about and I miss being out and about. We would typically be doing this in person, but soon again. So let's meet this amazing panel. Let's start with John McCauley. Um, John, tell us about yourself. Give us some background, brag a little bit. Oh, sure. Um, our firm is in San Diego. Um, uh, we started the firm in 1988 uh, when I was three years old and it, it worked out very well. Um, we are a combination of uh, interior and uh, graphic and product. I'm actually a product designer as well. And uh, I've mitigated it into um, uh, retail design originally and from retail design uh, transferred to corporate environments. And now we are combining uh, you know, commercial and residential design and have been doing that for the past 30 something years uh, in, uh, in San Diego. So it's been a, it's been a great journey. Congratulations, 30 years is great. So. Joan, I'm going to go to you, and I love the name of your company. Give us an introduction on you. Thank you, Christopher, and thank you, Josh. Uh, Joan Barton, I am the president and founder of Dirty Girl Construction in Los Angeles, California. And, uh, you know, design build firm that primarily, I, I mean, I started as a, cons, you know, just a construction firm and grew into a design build firm. And I've been in business since 2008 with Dirty Girl. I precede in business, you know, but I, I was working uh, alongside some other contractors and group settings and, and eventually just formed my own company and it took off from there. And then most recently I formed just my design line, which is called She Spoke Studio, which is maybe launching this year. It's quietly launching. We're trying to figure that out right now. Um, this is a good topic for what this all looks like for just the design line. Um, so that's that's what we do. Terrific. All right, Ray, you're up. Your turn. Tell us a little <sighs> bit about you and your. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm uh, really uh, honored to be here with you guys. You're so, so esteemed. I'm so you're so esteemed as uh, you know designers and product designers and uh, builders. And so uh, you know, I'm uh, just a boy from Missouri to uh, move to California. It was my dream at like eight, nine years old. I told my family I was moving to California to be an interior designer, live at the beach, drive a white BMW, and have five houses in different areas around the state so I could design homes for clients. And uh, I was working for Ralph Lauren after college. I graduated with a degree in architecture at K-State. Um, was working at Ralph Lauren. They closed our location. So where do you want to move? I said Southern California. So I moved to California where I met uh, my first six months here. I met Barclay Butera. We started a design firm 
firm in 1994, December of 94. Um, and reluctantly, um, I was a product designer. I was a, uh, you know, we designed uh, uh, hotels and residences and um, we designed our own products and we sold them around, you know, which is all the trade shows and everything. And it was a great experience. And in uh, 19, or sorry, 2018, I turned 50 and I decided to leave and start my own firm called, uh, it was originally called RL Interiors, but because we do other things, it's now called Ray Langhammer. And we're redoing my website. There's no website to go to right the second, but we're, we, I do everything from uh, events, uh, large events like weddings and uh, big parties. Um, and, you know, I wardrobe clients. I do whatever, you know, people want. And, you know, so uh, I'm kind of like one of those people that's kind of like wherever I go, where the fun is, you know, and uh, that's what I do. So um, I had a great career. I love my life. Um, my, my biggest role is dog dad to three chihuahuas. So that's, I feel like that's my biggest contribution uh, is, is raising these three chihuahuas. So, um, and I work for fun. So <laughs> yeah, we have to keep it fun. So right. we, when we had an intro call, there is a lot of great information here. So I'm going to jump right in because the biggest question is how did you start your business? What was the impetus? How, how did you organize it? structure it did you know enough about it you know is it learned by mistake or error or talk a little bit about how you got going we'll start with john um prior to, prior to moving to san diego um i i was a professor of design at ohio state and uh, i lived in columbus ohio and i was recruited by a, a industrial design firm uh, based in Columbus to start their retail environments division. And I did that and we had offices. We uh, grew to an office in uh, Boston and then we merged with a larger uh, retail design firm based in London. And so I was in charge of the retail enterprise and we were uh, asked to um, uh, prepare a business plan for expansion. And being raised in the Midwest my entire life, I was getting rather tired of the gray skies in the, in, in the uh, wintertime and the, and the temperatures and such. So I said, uh, let's do California. And I'd never been to San Diego. So um, I flew out to San Diego and spent a couple of weeks out and um, uh, picked up a job uh, with Alcoa Aluminum to redesign their corporate headquarters uh, in San Diego. And one thing led to another. Um, and I was supposed to launch the West Coast office uh, until the London lawyers came around and uh, requested that um, I sign uh, an agreement that was difficult to sign. So I resigned and uh, so put my house in the market, packed my car up on a Thursday and was in San Diego on a Tuesday. And I started my firm uh, by myself in an apartment, uh, a block from the beach, of course, I wasn't gonna go inland and um, Lasted there for about six months and until I started driving two employees I hired crazy, working in my living room, and then opened up an office in downtown San Diego. And that was in 1988. So uh, San Diego was an interesting market. There was no retail design firm in San Diego. So I had to recalibrate uh, going from retail to commercial uh, workplace environments. And uh, I did a lot of banks. And, and uh, we grew that based upon the, the integration of merging architecture, interior, and product uh, with visual communications and brand. Uh, because retail design is all about integration of brand and making sure um, that you were true and had a good compass to what your language was all about. 
uh, every point of contact, product, architecture, graphic, interior experience. And most corporate environments um, at that time in the dark ages was really all about, can you design a cool lobby and a really cool staircase uh, for my entry? And who really cares about what happens beyond the curtain? You know, the Wizard of Oz don't look behind the curtain. And that was most, most of your typical corporate environments in Southern California were really cool staircases, really nice lobby design, and pity the fool who worked here because, you know, that's behind the curtain. So we focused on understanding the language of the culture of the company, and we were focused on making sure that that culture was true to the built environment. And that's how we grew the firm. Uh, rather quickly because we were competing against architectural firms and interior design firms that really focused strictly on decor and what looked cool at the moment and nothing about the business platform. And that was the foundation. And we've grown it pretty much very well since then, um, to, you know, to keep that. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about growth. That's going to be a great question on, on how you grew it and what happened. So, Joan, I'm going to move on to you. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you started it, what your structure was. Um, I'll let you run with that. Okay. Well, I mean, I never planned to be in this business. I'll start with that. I, I went to art school my whole life. And when I realized that nobody was going to discover me in the park in the middle of New York City, I switched to music school and I came out here to be a composer to California. So um, I ended up up completely by mistake in this business. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I just never thought of it that way. I thought of what I was about to do as an opportunity. So this was back, you know, there was no Google really when I started. So I couldn't just like watch a YouTube video about how to build a house. I had to go to the library and read books and talk to people and get out in the field and go out with all the subs, learn the trades, I learned how to run the business by running somebody else's construction business, which, I mean, I can't think of any better way to have become a business person in this vocation than to do that because I got to see the successes and the failures of running somebody else's construction business. So that's how I jumped into this. The creative part, deciding to become a contractor was secondary. I mean, I just, I took the job because I was getting divorced and I needed another gig and I was working three jobs. And so I was doing my music, I was building houses and I had, I went back to waiting tables actually. I mean, I was, um, I was just in this place in life. You know, that's the, that's the truth is I didn't know where I was going. And I just started saying yes to everything that came my way. Cause that's how I lived my life. And Somebody asked me if I knew how to build a house and I said, yes, which wasn't true, but I just didn't think it could possibly be that hard, <laughs> which is wrong. It's very hard if you're doing it right. But I thought if I can learn how to put together a piece of music, I should be able to learn how to put together a house. And so I just started to learn and piece by piece, year by year, person by person, I taught myself and other people taught me, mentored me. Um, I got to really experience ground up building right at the start and understand what that looked like. And I just started to take on more and more responsibility as I felt comfortable. And after about four or five years of doing that, I, I ventured out on my own. Um, and originally, I think like all of us, I, yeah, I started in my bedroom and my entire office was in my bedroom. My phone was on 24 seven. Um, I never slept. I took all my money that I could and kept feeding it back into my business because I didn't even own tools. My first house, I borrowed my client's tools 
to build their house because I didn't own anything. So I owned like a ladder and a, and a sawzall. So I just started to build it as it came and reinvest into myself. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. The thing that I heard over and over was how unique it was to have a woman in construction, um, which still to this day is amazing to me that I was really kind of the, the I mean, I was the only one. In, Los, in a city like Los Angeles, there was a couple women that went before me, but at that time that I started, I didn't know anybody else who was doing what I was doing. So it was a combination of enjoying the art and realizing that I was changing the culture of construction at the same time. I've always been cognizant that I was paving the way for people. So that kept me going even when I was done. <laughs> and now here I am all these years later. And um, it, it's been a really cool road. Well, and Ray, um, you started with Barclay. I remember you guys brought in blue and white. Yes. And uh, so talk when you went on your own, how did you set up your company? Um, you talked a little bit about the impetus to make the change. Um, so how did you do that? What's your structure as, as a company? Because you mentioned you changed your name specifically because uh, your structure changed. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like like Joan and John, I also was work. I'm working out of my house, you know, and uh, and I came from a company that had at one time 130 employees and five locations, and you know, I I just started working out of my house, and actually right now my staff is working on an office in my garage because what I do is I work on my counter all night. And then in the morning, I'd have to take everything and put it in the garage. And then if we were cleaning out the garage, I'd put it in my car. And it was all the stuff was in these bags going back and forth. So it was really confusing. So like, we need like a place for you to put your stuff. And there's all these great cubicles and wonderful spaces out in the garage now that can store things and fabrics and all that. So it's really amazing. Um, I just was like, at that point, I think I started with Barkley when I was 25 and I turned 50. And I'm like, I guess I'm on this 25 year thing where I was like, you know what? I want to do something on my own and I want it to be small and I want it to be something that I can control. Um, to some degree, because we can't really can't control anything. But, uh, you know, and I started doing parties and events just because to pay the bills, you know, I was like, uh, I love throwing parties and events and people are like, hey, can you throw a party for my daughter's graduation? We're getting married. We're in our backyard. Can you do it? So we started doing that. And then I realized that I really loved having the option of not just doing residential interiors. And, uh, you know, I'd love to do a restaurant and hotel, you know, sometime in the future. Um, I'd love to, there's a lot of things I'd love to do. Um, but I love Jones analogy like she's she was a composer well I guess we're all kind of composers to some degree because we're putting together this incredible concerto of like our designs you know and um, I love the fact that we can reinvent ourselves and you know Joan was a composer and now she's building homes and she didn't have any tools you know I literally like left Barkley and was like I'm starting with nothing at 50 what I'm going to do and you know we just kind of go roll with the punches and I always say yes I'm a total people pleaser in that respect yeah I can totally do that you know and then I'm like geez how am I going to pull that one off you know and I'm always like like you said Joan like borrowing like how can I make that happen and you know uh so I bought like went to consignment shop and I bought all this like dinnerware and silver and stuff and I'm like oh sure I'll use it one day it looks cute in my house but now I use it for I just had a, a dinner part uh wedding for 24 people and we had every dish was from my house and every serving piece and it was amazing and so I think it's just fun you know I love to garden I love to do flower arrangements so it all kind of ties hand in hand and as long as it can be creative I'm fine with that that's awesome. So, um, well, I'm going to kind of do, you guys have so much information. So our audience is going to come to you guys for like business. Really, what have you done to create your success? Um, so one question I also have is, is on staffing. Um, why don't you talk about everybody started on their own garage bedroom, I, I remember, and then grew and grew up. And then did you stay big? Did you shift down? 
Did you bring in PR people, marketing people? Talk a little bit about your actual physical business from moving out of the bedroom um, type thing or right now with the garage for you, Ray, just where you want to go next or if that's working because of the amazing variety of things you do. So let's start. Let's start with Joan on that question. So from the bedroom, uh, I actually, you know, I keep increasing my, my space, my size of what I need because my business has grown to the point where I went from the bedroom to a place around the corner where I, I actually paid a dime a square foot, which was amazing. Um, that's how old I am, Christopher. So I paid a dime a square foot. So good. Um, and I had, uh, I had about four or 500 square feet uh, and I was very vertical in my storage and everything was extremely organized and there was bins for all this stuff. And I was still working alone. I ran my business by myself uh, completely. I was everything until 2000, let me think, 14. So, um, so I went from there to a place that I rented a 4,000 square foot place that I shared with my, uh, actually it's my best friend who's also a machinist. And so we split the place. So I had 2000 square feet of space. And then three or four years ago, I bought a, a, this building that I'm in now, which is about uh, 4,500 square feet with parking and out, you know, outside storage because I've got all of my containers and all that stuff. So as a construction company, I need a ton of room. As a designer, uh, I need a desk for the most part and a place to kind of like, you know, Ray was talking about where's are all my materials in my storage, especially when I'm working with a client and I want to spread everything out. So the space I'm in now, what I was cognizant of was I don't like to put things away when I'm creating. I like to be able to walk by them and see them because I'm inspired every time I move past it. And I go, oh, here's one more thing that I found today that might go with this person's project. So my main goal was to not just have storage, but to have a place where I could have 20 different project tables out in the main space, which is what we have all these tables. And I can lay everybody out and, and see it physically um, which for me is, is just super important. And also to have different offices set up for different people. So um, the woman upstairs for me is a designer who's had her own company for many, many years, but we've known each other for 17 years and we work in tandem together on design projects. Um, you know, I, whether it's her project or my project, we lend our expertise to one, one another. And um you know, and I started growing the business in 2014. So in 2014, I was up at like three in the morning and I literally had about 20 plan sets in my lap and I was like gnawing at my gums going, how am I going to get this all done? How am I going to get it all bid? How am I going to get all done? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, I need help. I really just said, I need help. I can't do this by myself. And, um, I reached out to a couple of people and just said, do you know anybody who could be a site supervisor? And um, that is my first hire. My first employee was to bring on a second in command site supervisor who now happens to be my husband, but that's another story. Um, and so he came on and he ran the field for me while I ran the business because there's a point in everybody's career 
especially with this fast moving train where you can't be fully immersed in the, the movement of the project at the business level and the paperwork level and also be in the field moving the project. There's just not enough uh, bandwidth for that for anyone. I mean, at, at, the, at the level that I work at. So, um, so from your, your staffing, because you're staffing, technically you have subcontractors and then the office designers yeah. and project managers. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So we've, I've got two things going on. You know, there's hundreds of people out in the field that are all subcontractors. I've got my own construction crew, which are all employees. I have my supervisory staff who are employees. And then we get into the consultants that I work with on the design level. So I've got, you know, I've got electrical engineers and MEP people, and then I've got my drafters and other architects who work with me, you know, I feed a lot of work to a lot of different architectural firms and sometimes we do it together. It just depends on the project. Or if it's too big for me to handle because of my own workload, I just give it away and say, maybe I'll build it. Or you can come to us for pre-construction consulting because we do that too. We get into this, you know, helping to develop a project not just on the level of design, but what that looks like in the field as a build and how much that'll really cost. And that that's a really important part of what I do for my clients, whether my clients actually be the homeowners or an architect or another designer who has a, a more finite knowledge base. So because I work in all these fields, I can tie that all together for people and really help people develop something that is feasible. So budget wise, you know, everything's feasible pretty much build wise, but can we actually do this based on the budget, based on the city we're working in and all those things. So I, I got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I hired a PR firm uh, for a minute to kind of help with my branding. Um, by nature, I'm extremely artistic and I'm not very cut and dry serious when it comes to the brand, like what my look was like. And so my look was actually a little bit messy because I didn't know how to direct just the message of, of what Dirty Girl looked like. And when you have a name like Dirty Girl, you better have a really clean look, you know? I mean, I just, and I couldn't, I couldn't get there because I'm always just scribbling things and doing things. And, and so I had someone actually come and steer that for me um, and check the content I was writing because I'm also a writer. So it was like just really streamlining my messaging, um, which at first I fought against, to tell you the truth. I really fought hard for what I thought made better sense. And, but a combination of the PR firm and my sister, who's a lawyer agreeing <laughs> with each other, honestly gave me like the impetus to go, okay, everybody that I trust is telling me the same thing. So I followed that. And then the next thing that I did was I hired a business manager. And that point came for me when I stopped knowing what the questions were. Not the answers, but the questions. I yeah, didn't know what Expand on that a little bit. That's an interesting, the, the, on the questions, expand on what you mean a little bit. So, you know, you get to a point where you kind of feel like you know everything, and maybe you do. I've never known everything, but I could certainly answer all the questions that were posed to me in a day. What I didn't really know was what was next and what was outside of my knowledge base. And if you are trying to grow your business and expand for instance, just as an example, if you don't understand um, what 
multi-shore means, well, you have to go look that up. But if you know that you need to source from multiple places and you don't have the vocabulary, then you don't know what the question is to ask and you certainly won't know what the answer is. So how do I get my product? That's the, that's, that's a question that I was asking myself. And, and, but I, there was a larger question behind that, which was how do I get my, my product efficiently, cheaply, you know, uh, uh, on time, there were so many other things that went with us with a simple idea was I didn't really know what the right questions were to even be asking. So I, you know, I went and I found people who knew better than I did. And I surrounded myself with them. And that not just helped grow the business, it helped to grow Joan, you know, my capacity expanded. And with that, over time, I've turned into a mentor for other people, which is great. So um, hiring the people who could help me control and grow and look at how I was marketing and, and how, you know, what kind of, I didn't know how much money I made. Like, that's a silly thing. But the first question my business manager asked me was, how much money do you make a year? And I said, I don't know. I don't even have time to track it. You know, I just, I'm just flowing all the time. And he said, well, how are you going to grow your business? And I said, you are going to help me do that. You know, and, and so, but he, and he taught me really old school tools for how to grow a business, but I'd never heard of any of this stuff before. I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician. Why would I, you know, so right. it, it was a lot of that type of thing. Um, really. Uh, right. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I, Every, every owner needs to know their financials. You have to look at it. I mean, I'm down to, yeah. I know how much I have to make a day to stay in business. So right. um, I want to move to Ray because Ray, you're, you're in a new, you have a new business, but you have a, a PR person and a business manager already. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, one thing I learned from Barkley is that, you know, you certainly can't do everything. And I think that when you, if you define the roles of certain people, I think it makes a better leader because really that's what you are. Right. And, uh, so I know that I'm good at certain things. I know that I'm terrible at finance. I know that I'm terrible at going, I, mean, I can go out and talk to anyone, but uh, what do I do with that information? So yeah, I have uh, two assistants at my home and they do different things. And then I have a PR person who's basically my business development PR um, and she handles some of the social media. And I have someone who does just social media only uh, for my business. And um, of course I have an like, accountant um, and things like that. So there's about six people besides myself that are involved right now. And, uh, you know, and they all are very good at what they do. So I can know that I have each one of them to will come to me and ask for certain things that I have to give them. So it really makes it kind of streamlined for me. That's great. And then John, so you, you've been established for quite a while. So, you know, your start, how you grew, I don't know if you have a PR and marketing team, but talk a little bit about that. And well, did you ever hit a point you're like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. It's too big and I'm going to re reorganize it. Yeah, I, I, I did that with steroids, um, and it was um, an amazing um, um, lesson um, that I'll share. Uh, when I left, left my 600-square-foot apartment, um, everybody kept telling me that I, I needed to be downtown. I was in La Jolla, um, which is now the downtown environment in San Diego, and they go, you need to be downtown to survive. So I started asking around and came across an architect uh, named Rob Quigley, who is an amazing architect, uh, still practicing. And he had a brand new office that had 2,500 square foot. And I had no employees. I had one. but So I, I rented it. 
signed a five-year lease <laughs> for a 2,500 square foot office with one employee. And um, uh, within three months, I had six employees. And then, you know, then you, I grew up to uh, 10 employees. I think the second year I had a business manager, um, had a PR uh, a person um, at that time as well, which helped do the stuff that I loathe doing. I hate making phone calls. I don't like calling people I don't know. Um, I just personality defect perhaps. And um, so we were down there for 10 years and it was great. Um, I started doing a lot of work with, with Quigley, doing his interiors and graphics. We had architects on staff, a designer, um, designers as well as interior designers. And it got to the point where um, I thought it was time to leave the downtown vibe in, in, um, in 1998. And we moved up the coast to what's called Swallow Beach, which is a coastal community. Uh, it's called North County, San Diego. Um, signed a lease in an office there that is literally a block and a half from the beach. So I felt very, very nice about that. And everybody came with me and we grew that office to an additional three or four people and then we opened up a branch office. Uh, we were doing California Bank and Trust. We're doing all their work. We did 80 branches, did the corporate identity, did the corporate headquarters in Oakland and San Diego, et cetera. And we, so I had another studio at that office. So now I'm up to 25 people. And, um, and in pretty much... And in pain, I, you know, I was making good bucks, but you know, I, I don't have any uh, human resources ability in my body. Um, I'm, I'm not a hold your hand type of person. And there's a lot of HR, you, you get above eight to 10 people, you need someone who's really good at, at dealing with the issues of personalities or personality issues within the office. And um, so my office manager started dealing with that, which helped out quite a bit. And then I closed that office down, came back to 10. And then I made one of the biggest mistakes professionally in my life um, in 2008. Um, I was courted by a very large architectural firm that had offices in Oakland, Sacramento, LA, Orange County, and San Diego. And um, they wanted to merge. And I used the word merge uh, loosely. I agreed it was a merge. Uh, there's other words for it, which I won't say in public. And they, um, you know, it was a good, great offer. Uh, 2007, you know, everything was a rocking and rolling. Business was great. Uh, you, know, you know, I was made an equal partner. Uh, there's three names uh, on, on the company now versus two. And my ego felt pretty good. Uh, yeah, big time. Um, and uh, within three months, I felt like it, I was in hell. Uh, it, it was a totally different environment. Uh, the work that we were, had done before in the past, for example, that we typically never responded to RFQs, re, re, uh, requests for quotes. I, got, I, I just don't do those. I'd be happy to talk to you about what your issue, what your problem is. We can work out uh, a way to work with you um, as a consultant uh, because we're not after a job, we're after client relationships. And I would always say no to RFQs or, you know, I could, you know, we'll work out a proposal and we'll work with you on this. Right. And so um, that's how they live. This firm lived on doing RFQs, RFPs. They had a department of six people. That's all they did all day, all day long. And right. um, that's the type of work that I did not want to do. So right. I negotiated my departure. 
after after a year. And uh, it was I was on a five year gig um, for a buyout over five years. Um, and yeah, I didn't care. So I just left and started all over again in 2008. Um, small studio again, which I liked doing design again, which I loved. No HR issues, which I was in heaven. And it was just an amazing kind of rebirth for me because all of a sudden I was designing again, whereas the previous 10, 10, 15 years, I was doing a lot of just, you know, design principle stuff, whatever the hell that means. And um, started. You found that you did the grow a partner and then back down. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went from one employee in 1988 to a, a partner in an architecture firm with over 300 employees. And, um, uh, you know, you know, that, you know, that's cool. You know, people like that type of stuff, but just, you know, just didn't work for, for the way that I was built. And so I re, so we re energized the firm. And then in 2009, uh, Janet uh, McCulley, uh, who had her own career, uh, uh, beautiful career in, 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 in marketing and, and creativity and, and graphics, we joined forces. And, um, and, we, and we grew the firm in 2009, started growing it back up again. We moved back to, to Solana Beach for the office. And uh, our, our space has been in, on, on Cedros Avenue in Solana Beach now since uh, 2009, 2010. And uh, so right now we have what we, I guess you would call a boutique studio. That's just a fancy name for a small studio. And uh, we do um, uh, just only so many jobs a year on, on purpose. Um, Well, I'd love to use this to segue. We're going to do like a question and answer round because I know all the information you guys have. There's a lot. And I think as somebody that's tuned into this, like what can they take away and apply it into their own business? So I'm going to hit staffing. What's your secret to find good staffing? And if somebody's watching this, what do you look out for? So if they want to apply a job with you or are using, you know, aspiring for what they need to look for as an owner, Give me two points on that. What's your success on finding staffing and what you look for for somebody who may be needing to tweak their resume? So, Ray, I'll start with you. We're on a question and answer round because you guys have a lot of information. So let's start with that. All right. So as far as staffing goes, um, I feel like my staff kind of uh, came they came out of the blue. I think sometimes we just have that where someone you're at dinner with someone. They're like, yeah, I've been looking for a job and uh, you know, here's my skill set. And um you know, and that's how I found most of mine are their dear friends, you know, uh, that have worked with me. Um, I, you know, I, I've never had a resume in my whole life. I've had like, you know, three jobs, you know, three career jobs. And they were always just, you know, Ralph Lauren was an application. It wasn't a, you know, uh, a resume. So I don't really go heavily with resumes all the time. Um, and I've just had a lot of good luck with that. And it seems to be kind of effortless. And they, I, feel, I feel like good people are always there and they kind of fall into your lap when you're, you know, at least expecting it, at least my experience. And then what was the second part of that question? If you got a what you want to see in the resume, if you had to find a position at designer and it's yeah. like, darn, I don't know anybody, what would you, is there something somebody should have in the resume that's a standout for you? I always love, um, for me, I mean, I always love someone who's been a little bit in retail, you know, they worked for another designer perhaps, um, uh, you know, they have some t- uh, time as maybe, um, you know, an intern somewhere that I, I love or, you um, I don't know, just someone who has a, a really, I don't like a really long, extensive resume because uh, as you might've known from your emails, I'm not really great at getting back and reading 
all those fine details, but it's like, I feel like if someone has a really concise, nice uh, resume that I can peruse quickly and there's just a little job, it just has to be this extensive, you know, career. Um, I think that they would be overqualified for my firm anyway. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, I'm just so you know, I'd, I'd love to keep my firm small, boutique. I, thank you, John, that describes my firm exactly. It's a boutique firm and I want to keep it that way. because I've had 130 employees before and it's just daunting. So the thought of having even 25 is kind of like out of my range. But uh, I think, you know, six, seven people is perfect. Okay, so I'm, I'm Joan, I'm going to same question, our question around and answer around. So um, staffing, how did, what, how have you found employees and what would you recommend somebody like, what do you look for in a resume? What's been your success finding employees and what would you look for in a resume for somebody looking for a job with you? Um, so most of my employees, the majority of my employees over the years have found me. Like they've just called out of the blue wanting to work for me. So um, but I would say the success rate of the people who call me out of the blue or who submit out of the blue is 2%, you know, because they don't really understand what I do for a living. They don't really understand, you know, they, they're watching HGTV and they go, I want to do that. And then they're like, you know, they find me and they, and I, I, I tell them, I go, it's four or five years of just answering phones and kind of watching before you really even understand what this business is. So you know, there's that instant gratification of people wanting to just come in and be designers. So, it, but you don't necessarily, for me, have to have a design background to work well in this company. You have to be able to multitask. You have to have a, an ability to self-start. You have to have some interest in educating, self-educating yourself, because I don't have the time or the bandwidth to sit down and teach everybody everything I know. Um, it's kind of like going to college when you come here, you better jump in and you better have your books ready and start looking stuff up because the, when I start talking in the workplace, a lot of people record what I'm saying because I say so much, they want to go back and review what I told them because there's so much information coming out of me uh, as opposed to, you know, can you Xerox or photocop, whatever we call it these days, can you scan this? <laughs> Xerox. Um, so, you know, as opposed to task, but task oriented people do really well within this space because we all multitask. Um, what, so I, I often look for Jack and Jill's of all trades. It's not necessarily that they have a design background. What I'm really cognizant of, of being having an aversion to at this point is, so I sort of divide people by this is the employee mentality and this is the I own a business mentality. People who have run their own businesses, I used to think, oh, that's great. But most of those people that come to me are coming to me because they have failed at running their own business. That has been very eye-opening for me. They don't actually know how to be in this business. So it's 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 different than if I'm working with somebody who's still running their own business. But a lot of people have come to me and said, well, I don't like running my own business or I failed and, you know, or all my employees left. <laughs> There's a reason for that. So I've had to learn to, to really listen to what people are saying to me when interviewing them more than what they wrote on the piece of paper, because the piece of paper is just a piece of paper. If you look beyond that and you look at the way they're talking to you or how they hold themselves or what they're really saying about how they ended up in front of you, that's how I can pick the best person. So, um, so Ray, you're a little bit less is more and Joan, you're a little bit, give me more so I know more about you. So um, that's really interesting, interesting 
Um, John, unless you have something to add, can I move on to marketing with you? I, I do have maybe two minutes. Okay. And let me tell you what not to do with resumes. Do not send a resume that has no content to it outside of an email address. Um, the best way to send a resume is to do research on the company you're sending it to and at least address it to a name of someone who works there instead of to whom it may concern or, you know, whatever. You can tell it's just a mass mailing, um, almost like a blind copy element. Don't do that. Make sure that if I'm reading a resume and they have done research on who we are, what we do, what the type of work that we do, um, it's not ego or flattering. It just shows that they did their homework. Make sure that you don't misspell words in your resume. That's, that's just not something, you, you, you'll hear that for a hundred years. Uh, you know, be professional, make sure it's, it's business-like. Um, and make sure that the, the work my that you show- question, My first question, when they, when they make the hurdles to come in, my first question is, what do you know about my company? Because to your point, I want somebody that's a self-starter and, and reviewed. So it sounds yeah. like you were struggling in that same kind of takeaway. Well, it, yeah, because really what you're looking for someone who is really more, not necessarily an employee, at least we are, uh, we want someone who's more of a steward of the company, a stewardship. By steward, I mean, everything they do is, is on behalf of the company. And guess what? They get better as a result of being with other stewards and everybody becomes very holistic. Everybody looks out for each other. There's not negative competition within the office. People are doing what's right for the company and what's right for the business, and they succeed in that process. And it becomes a, an amazing, powerful thing to hire the right personality. I know that may not be the right word, but you, you know, you know we, we don't want dealers. We don't want you know, grandstand people who always talk about me, 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 I, I, I all the time in presentations. Um, I could go on about why you don't want to do that, but that's a different book. So, you know, these types of things are, are, are just basic, um, you know, um, precepts that you want to make sure that they can think, that they obviously are creative, have, have good design ability, but they are at the bridge of what, what I call it. It's the bridge that you have, you have strategic thinkers, you have tactical thinkers. We want people at the bridge who could communicate back and forth mm -hmm. and be comfortable in the C-suite and be comfortable on the job site and, and work with a contractor as a partner, which, which Joan, I think that you can tell stories about divas that show up on construction sites that you wanna you know, get a nail gun out and uh, pin them to the wall. But you know, these, these types of things are amazing, powerful tools that are uh, important to communicate because you, you have two or three minutes when you, when, when you meet someone and you're making, that, you're making that impression. So think about what that is. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like that. Um, so one thing, you guys have been very successful. You have people that actually are marketing for you or, you know, bringing in work. But if I have a new business or I want to grow my business, nowadays, back when I started, you just picked out a font. There was no logo. There was no branding. The big thing was, what font do you want on your letterhead? Um, now, you know, these people are told, oh, my God, you have to be really involved in social. You have to be here. You have to be here to bring in um, project. So what would you tell somebody has been a successful way or what you recommend to market to really like, okay, here's how I'm getting myself out there to get work, not just to be a brand, but to actually bring in projects. So John, may I start with you? Sure. 
Um, you know, I, I've had the blessing, not to repeat, but I've had the blessing of being a woman in construction, which was its own marketing. You know, that's, a, and, and so I get that that doesn't happen for everybody. But when you flip over to the design world, I'm one of many. So, you know, what I found was you know, like using Salesforce or just understanding how to tier your marketing, you know, and how to follow up with making, you know, make the phone or, you know, make the connection, call this person, have a cup of coffee, meet them for dinner, follow up, which is just old school networking. That is the absolute best tool that anyone ever taught me on how to grow my basically my clientele, you know, I sat down and I made a list of all the people I knew and I put them in different categories, engineers, architects, designers, clients, friends, family. And I started working those networks. And as I worked them, I started booking phone conversations. I started booking coffee dates. I started, and then I started booking jobs and my business just, it was just old school networking you know you go it's not like oh i just got invited to the right party if you don't live in the middle of hollywood or some you know the hamptons or whatever how do you get to that right party it's not really about that it's about being able to have a conversation like we're having right now with someone without selling them literally having a conversation where both of you are going to get something out of it, even if it's just an introduction, but not selling yourself. We're not used car salesmen. We're, we're people who have something to offer, who are looking for people who need what we are offering them. It's not selling them. It's just, we have a skill set. So learning how, as much as I hate picking up the phone, like John was saying, I don't like to make phone calls. I'm not good with certain, my skill set has to grow in that area, but being able to just cold call someone in a sense and saying, you know, I heard you were looking for something or whatever. We have a mutual friend. I would love to get together for a cup of coffee and just pick your brain, whatever it is that where you can make that connection is important because it will lead to something, whether it's three days from now or three years from now, you know, there's a reason I'm booked years out and it's not because of anything else other than the fact that I consistently stay connected to my community. And it's a practice. You have to learn how to do that. But once you learn how to do it and realize you're just talking to somebody, it's super easy. Right. right. I have a thing. Until they tell you no, it's still a potential project. Um, so, John, same question about marketing. Um, what is it that's been successful for you? Because when we all start, we're all wearing every hat you can possibly wear starting a business. So for you, what have you found successful, especially wanting to maintain a boutique type firm of size? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a powerful um, word that's called, uh, um, called social capital. Social capital is, uh, in a quick summary, if you make a phone call, someone calls you back. That's important. Um, again, when I first started, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. I knew two people in, in the whole San Diego County. So I joined uh, business organizations. I joined Rotary. I joined, uh, you know, business organizations, Downtown Partnership, which is a group of uh, business people who get together once a week and, and talk about um, civic uh, issues that we have to address. Um, 
you know, everybody, you know, you have lawyers there, architects, designers, you know, uh, business people there. Uh, I, I got on boards. Boards are, um, you know, were very relevant to what I was doing because I got a chance to talk to people who made the decisions at a certain level that um, would allow us to do quality and creative design. Um, and then you start really meeting them on a personal level. And like what Joan was saying, sometimes, you know, you can have a conversation that is not, a, the, the more it becomes a sales pitch, the more people turn off. Mm -hmm. And um, the more that they see you and know you and understand that, you know, this person has a, has a direction in their business that is focused and deliberate and, and purposeful. And look at the work they've done, which I think is key. You know, one of my philosophies is that, is that you get the work you do. If you do right. this type of work, people are gonna see it and they're gonna, who did that? I mean, that is interesting. How can I work with this person versus you know, right. uh, get a sales pitch? I also started doing a lot of speeches and talks. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a recovering um, academician. So uh, I like to pontificate in front of people. And it, it's amazing. I got one of the biggest gigs I ever had in my life for a bank that they, you know, they would never return my call when I was here like in 12 months because they didn't know who I was. So at the American Banking Association, I made a talk on retail design and et cetera. And after that talk, I had all these bankers come up to me and they gave me their cards to call. And so these type of things are not sales techniques. They are making sure that people understand who you are and what you do and what you stand for. And so you eventually start surrounding yourself with people of like kind, and they recommend you to other people of like kind, or they give you a reference. And it becomes a very nutritional um, end product in that social capital is the most powerful tool you ever get to grow your business. And then Ray, I'm going to touch on this quickly because um, I've got a couple more questions. We're running on time. So you mentioned you have somebody that just does social media. Do you find that as a successful way to bring in work or it's kind of helping your brand as people are looking for designers or um, inspiration? Or how do you use that? Do you, do you use it to bring in work? Has it been a good marketing tool that way? Yeah, you know, um, to both of John and Jones point, I think that when you're not trying to sell something, you're actually, uh, it's subliminal, you know, people want it, want it. I think that nowadays, um, people like to see how you live your life and your personality and the things you do. And so I think that that social media is really strong in that respect. And I think, uh, like John and Joan, like I do speaking engagements. Um, I have several clients who have introduced me to uh, clients at parties and events where, you know, there was nothing going on about you know, design or whatever, but it got to the conversation about what I did. And so that led to those clients hiring me or not, you know, whichever. But uh, I think the less you try to sell a client and the more they're interested in just you as a person. I mean, I think that a lot of times people don't really think about the design. I mean, not everyone, of course, but I mean, some people like want your personality. They like your personality. They think you're going to do a great job. They want, you know, you're friendly. You know, I, I can say, and I think John and Joan had said this before too, when we met initially is that all of my clients are my friends, you know, and, and, and I've been to, you know, graduations and, you know, uh, christenings and I've read stories to kids in bed when we were on a tree, you know, doing their home and, you know, it was almost done. And so you become really close to them. And then of course they 
give your name out to their clients and friends and, and people in their lives. And uh, so I think that I really built my business on that. And I think that the fun marketing and stuff like that magazine things that I do around town with uh, you know, modern luxury or uh, whomever um, are fun, but I don't know, there's no uh, ROI. You don't know what the rate of return on that investment is when you're, when you're doing a print ad anymore. And I think that when people direct message you on in, uh, social media and say, Hey, I want to hire you or Hey, I'd like to see more of what you do. or I'd like to meet with you. I said, thinks it's a great marketing tool. And, you know, it reaches millions of people, you know, where you don't know who's really looking at your print ad, but you can see a direct result immediately from your social media posts, which I think is interesting. I'm going to have our last question. There's so much you guys have that I wish we to get to all of it, but what are your biggest challenges with running a business? Is it collecting fees? Is it you're doing purchasing and you're competing against the internet? Is it staffing? What is your biggest challenge and how goes with the one piece of advice somebody gave you when you started your business that you still use to this day? So John, I'll start with you on that. I think it's uh, deciding why you're in business in the first place. Um, what is it that, um, what value do you bring to um, anybody that would work with you? I think the, the um, interesting thing about designers is that uh, we typically never retire. And I remember when I was uh, an undergrad, uh, one of my professors, a German, uh, a German guy, uh, uh, you know, he pretty much said in his wonderful German accent that you don't know blank until you hit 50 or 60 in design. And I always thought, you know, wow, I'm not sure if I, if I could, if that seems, if, if I make it that long, I'd be happy to, you know, to really embrace that idea. And so what happens that the longer that you're in the profession, you, you really understand that there is a value that you bring uh, in the engagement. And it's not about the fee, you know, you'll get paid. Um, you know, we're, we've been lucky. I, I think in the history that we've had, you know, we've only been out 90 days with one client. I mean, we, we just happen to work with amazing people that can't wait to write the check and give it to you. It sounds weird, but it's just, just great when that happens. Right. I go, well, thank you very much. I'll, I'll be it's happy. It's two o'clock. I'll be happy to take it. So, so the, the aspect is, is, it's really more of a deep philosophical as, aspect is why, why are we in business? What value do we have? What is it that we're doing that other people are not doing that we can provide a, 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 a subliminal value that people never realize until it's done? And one of the things that I've always driven for in any work that we do within the built environment, whether it's a residential or whether it's a commercial or retail or whatever, is that anybody who goes in there said, I wish I lived here. I wish I worked here. I wish I could stay here. So the end result is it's, a, it's kind of a legacy in that environments don't go away. You know, if you're in the built environment business, this is not like, like something you're doing like a little you know, piece of paper and you throw it away. You know, it takes time. It takes blood, sweat, and, 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 and equity to get the same built and, and designed. And I think that's the most powerful thing in the world. You know, it's, I don't feel like I, I, I struggle with the business. And we're talking about the business. Um, or that I have ch challenges anymore with the whole business. Yeah, challenge. Um, you know, I, I feel like what I do at this point in my life is a calling. 
I don't feel like, um, like it would be appropriate for me to step away from what I'm doing at this point for various reasons. Most of them being because I feel like I have something important to pass on or down to other people. Um, so, you know, the challenge for me is while technically on the one hand, you know, John's saying we never retire. We never retire. But I, the challenge for me is going slow enough that I stay true to myself and my family and my own personal happiness. And that I also am able to continue to leave the world better than it was when I showed up somewhere. So I have to be able to give enough energy to a project to make it worthwhile for someone to hire me and yet not lose myself in it the way I did when I was 30. And that's all that mattered. You know, the, 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 the camera lens has gotten much wider about why I am doing what I do. Um, so it's really a very spiritual, personal journey for me at this point to, to continue to offer my services at whatever level that I can, but make sure that my heart and my health and my family are full and happy. You know, there's there's a happiness factor. And I think we've all seen in the last year how much more important those things are. So I am tasked now with um, offering what I do to fewer people at the same level that I used to so that I, I can take care of those other things that are now more important to me. That's nice. That's really nice. Um, and Ray, what about you? What are some challenges and how you deal with it? As a business owner, you know, we all have something will come up, client communication or something. So um, anything you have that, that you've found as a challenge? Because it sounds like you're just right out the door doing amazing. So, Well, you know, there are challenges. I mean, I loved uh, Joan's response. I think that at our level, you know, I think at our, my age and, uh, you know, I think we're all doing it because it's passion you know, and we want to do it with people that we love and people that we like. And I, people we want to be friends with, you know, I always think to myself, do I want to really sit down at a meal with this person? No, I don't. So why take the job? You know? And I think, um, that's one of my, you know, the answer to your other question was what, what advice would you like to be given? But don't ever take a job for the money, you know, do it because you're passionate about the project. If you take the job for the money, it's always going to be a job, you know, it's not going to be a passion project. And I think that so many, you know, for every, there's nine great clients to one bad, you know, and the bad ones aren't even that bad, but you know, if you take it for money, it's, it's the wrong reason, you know, and you're, you're going to have sleepless nights and it's going to be not a fun thing. Um, so that's the answer to that question. And I think access to information is, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I, all my clients, you know, can go online and see whatever they see. If they hit a style number or a SKU number or a fabric number, they can find the price somewhere cheaper than probably I can offer it. So I just tell people, I'm going to show it to you. If you find it cheaper, you're still going to give me you know, my hourly plus 30%, you know, so it works out great. And they're buying it anyway. So I'm not chasing them for you know, a dollar anymore. I feel like that's really fair to both of us. And that's my answer. All right. <laughs> wow. Well, unfortunately, if anybody has any other closing information, this was amazing. We literally could do it. Number two and number three, of just the information you guys. So any other business tips as we say goodbye to our audience? So um, Joan, anything else you want to share you thought of? I think that it kind of goes along with, um, we talked about it when we all first met and I hear us all saying it now, but I think to just blatantly say, learn to say no, 
learn to say no and be able to feel like inside yourself what works for you. I think that is the most important thing any of us can know about ourselves. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. boundaries, setting boundaries. Okay. Yeah, I would say we're just like in, in all of life with friends and family too. So yeah. Ray, Joan, John, great information. Um, I look forward to speaking with you more. It's always great to learn from your own colleagues of how we do different things. And the audience is really going to take a lot away from this. And Josh Cooperman, thank you so much for the opportunity to get to work with such a great group of people. I'm with you. Yay, Josh. Absolutely. Yay, Josh. Ray, Joan, pleasure. Thanks, Easy John. Good. Thanks, Joan. Talk with you guys. Thank you, Joan. John, Ray, and Christopher, thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support of Convo by Design. Thank you, Thermosol, for presenting the Wellness and De Design Leadership Series. A and thank you for listening. Without you, seriously, what's the point? There is no point in doing this. If you are not already a subscriber to the show, why not? What are you waiting for? It's super easy. Uh, you can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Ask your smart speaker to play Convo by Design. It's really that easy. Follow along on the socials and check out our YouTube channel for videos from some of your favorite episodes. Like this one from Thermosol's Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. Thanks again for listening. And be well. Until next week, keep creating. Mm -hmm.